Welcome back to the Point of Order podcast, an inside look at California politics in the state legislature. I'm your host, Assemblyman Josh Hoover, and we're joined again today by the prestigious uh, Assemblyman Joe Patterson from District 5 in Placer County oh, in super, El Dorado County. Super co-host now. Yeah, right? you're, you're exactly. Yeah. You know, this is like, what, three, third, think third, third time? Yeah. All right, awesome. How, so, so we are currently in the midst of what we call end of session uh, the last week. This is the final week of legislative session for 2023. How's, how's, how are things treating you so far? Uh, I like it. I mean, not having committee meetings where, uh, you know, like three committee meetings at the same time, different locations and just hanging out on the floor, reading your, you know, what your, the bills basically. Um, I don't, I don't mind doing that. I think it's funny that that doesn't bother you. Cause like, I mean the committee meeting thing I get, but I feel so trapped like, cause we're literally not allowed to leave the floor. <laughs> yeah. I don't think people know that the, the sergeants yeah. that protect us also keep us from leaving, uh, during <laughs> yes, session. They do. So we have uh, to get express permission from the yes. NFL or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And there was, there's an escape route. There was a private, a secret escape route. There right? was, that's right. And, and now, uh, they, have now they have a sergeant there. there because, uh, a member who I shall not name, uh, le- just uh, left one time. So I actually was messing with the, the guy at that post the other day, the sergeant at that post. Cause I asked him, I'm like, who are you protecting us from over here? And and it's like, oh, you just don't want us to sneak out. (laughs) That's the the real issue. So, yeah, that was uh, that's pretty funny. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's I will say I think it's interesting that we save some of the hardest bills and we're going to get into some of these in this podcast. But we save some of the toughest issues for the final two weeks. And I, I, I felt that this year so far has gone pretty well. I mean, there have been things that I've not been super happy about that have passed, but overall it's been a, it's been a mix. And I felt like this, like last week was pretty rough. Yeah. It was pretty rough. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Well, it's frustrating because, you know, a lot of them, I mean, that we'll talk about, but you know, the constitutional amendments and things that need 54 votes. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've all been easily getting the 54 yeah. votes and yeah. that's kind of a bummer because you still have to put your points out there, but some of these are just really, really bad for people and uh, yeah. businesses and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I don't want to go any farther without mentioning that we are recording this on September 11th, uh, 2023, 22 years, uh, 22 year anniversary of um of the attacks on 9-11 um so i just wanted to give that a mention i was at a really really nice um a ceremony this morning in Folsom um honoring you know those we've lost and the first responders and uh with our police and fire department out there so it was really nice but yeah um definitely uh it's kind of amazing it's been 22 years you've got you know my kids other than what i've told them have no you know mm-hmm. rec- no idea you know, they weren't around yet. So yeah, I mean, crazy. uh, not only kids, but I mean, grown adults, uh, I mean, young adults, right. Kids in college, right. basically if you're in college or younger now, yeah, you have not, you don't remember. I mean, maybe even hitting up your thirties because if you're <clears throat> 27, 28, you're only five or six, right? Yeah. So, so um, your memory is pretty, so, yeah. So you lived it in some of the aftermath and, and all yeah. that, but I mean, it's one of those moments I'll never forget. I know exactly where I was. 
Uh, well, let's uh, let's kick things off. Um, we're actually going to do things a little differently this week, so we're going to start with our clip of the week. We usually end with it, but um, uh, we're going to talk some taxes, okay? Because last week uh, we passed two constitutional amendments uh, that I think are going to have a pretty huge impact on taxpayers in a negative way. Um, and so ACA 1 and ACA 13 um, are, uh, and we'll talk about kind of more what they do in a moment, but um, I wanted to play you this clip of our colleague James Gallagher, and then we'll, uh, we'll discuss. Yeah, thank you, Madam Speaker and uh, members. Uh, though I appreciate my colleague trying to demsplain to us farm boys, uh, we all know what this is, we all know what's really going on here, right? You all are trying to make it easier to raise taxes. It's that simple. You want to make it easier to raise taxes, and you're trying to game the system to get what you want and to stop the voters from being able to protect themselves against you all, right? Against more taxes coming their way. We all know what's going on. We don't need explanations, and you can't run away with it. It's no coincidence this is ACA 13. It's a direct attack on Prop 13, and it's trying to undermine those protections that voters want and need. Look, the problem is not revenue. It's not that you guys don't have enough money. It's not that locals don't have enough money. You've overseen some of the biggest budgets in California history. Our locals have seen some of the biggest budgets in California history. It's how you spend it. And I love you guys talking about homelessness. Oh, we need to do this for homelessness. You've spent $20 billion only to make the problem worse. The problem is not money. The problem is people don't trust you. They don't trust how you spend the money. And that's why they need these protections. So uh, I love it when James get all, gets all passionate on the, on the assembly floor. But this has kind of been the level of passion, I feel like, over the last week yeah. uh, on the floor on some of these bigger issues. Uh, so, you know, ACA1 obviously... Um, attempts to lower the vote threshold for certain local tax, you know, increases, um, which is interesting. Uh, so, so it would lower it from two thirds requirement to 55%. But then ACA 13 would actually increase the vote threshold for anything that attempts to put taxpayer protections in place that require two thirds vote. No. So, I mean, it's, it's, they're simultaneously wanting to make tax increases easier to pass while making taxpayer protections harder to pass. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, uh, it's pretty frustrating, I think, as a taxpayer. And I know uh, who represents a community of, uh, of taxpayers that um, strongly support Proposition 13 and, and some of these other um, protections. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to see. Yeah, uh, it is. All of these, James is right. I mean, all these maneuvers are to uh, just make it easier to raise taxes and harder to lower them. Uh, that's the bottom line. And uh, I've never really met anybody that says, you know, we really need to be paying more taxes. Uh, I think uh, the tax structure is very complicated. There's a ton of money. I don't understand as long as I've been around this place, uh, when I started as an intern back in the day uh, to now, there every single year there are dozens of proposed tax increases. I, why can't we go a year 
where we're not jacking up taxes more and more and more and more. Yeah. Well, and I think to your point, I mean, uh, you, you don't meet a lot of people that that say, hey, I want to pay more taxes. I mean, there are people that maybe want to, but um, the reality is, is that we already pay some of the most in the country in California, right? And so um, I think even more so in California, taxpayers are more sensitive because uh, with the exception of maybe property taxes, they already pay some of the highest taxes in the yeah. country. Yeah. I just went and filled up my gas tank this morning. Uh, gas is at Costco is four ninety nine. That means everywhere else it's, it's five fifty or something, yep. right? Five forty, five thirty, something like that. And a dollar twenty five, dollar thirty depends on sort of the tax rate at that point. But it is to taxes in California, and uh, I don't think people realize that a dollar and a quarter of every gallon is going to pay for taxes. Right. And it's so outrageous. Yet just this year, I'm, I made hostile amendments to try to stop the gas tax from going up. But just this year, they uh, the Democrats pushed through this, you know, we're going to hold oil companies accountable. I mean, mm-hmm. what has yeah, it done? It's done nothing. They've done nothing. It was a total virtue signal yeah. Uh, thing by the the governor basically. And well, that was the crazy thing too uh, about the gas tax increase that passed a few years ago is that it goes up every single July, every single year. Um, and so we and I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but we pay the highest gas taxes in the entire nation. No, yeah. and we drive on the forty sixth ranked roads, yeah. ranked roads. So we pay the most, we get the least in return. I think that frustrates people even more than the taxes yeah. is the fact of how little we get for them. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what James was channeling here. It's like people don't trust that this money's going to actually go to what you say it's going to go to. Yeah. And it really is a double whammy because what they do is they say, hey, look, local <clears throat> governments, you don't qualify for some of the highway projects unless you have your own matching sales tax measure. Yep. So in Placer County yep. where – uh, the voters by 64% were supportive of it, but it Got means it. two thirds, yeah, right? 66 um, but, but they voted to, uh, not have this gas tax increase. And so therefore highway 65 in Placer County yeah. can't get state funds because they don't have their own tax. But I mean, these people are paying a dollar yeah. 25 for every single gallon they fill up. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me and I don't know what was going to, get people to see this, but there are a number of, you know, one of the pushes for ACA one is the fact that there have been a number of tax measures at the local level that have failed by a couple of percentage points to your point, right? They needed 66 something percent and they got, you know, 65 or 64. Uh, We have, we've had the same uh, thing kind of going on at Folsom where, you know, there's been a couple attempts and Folsom has one of the lowest sales tax rates in the, in the region. Right. So it's not necessarily unreasonable for them to bring that to the voters. Um, but because of all the pressure from the state and the taxes that are just poured on at the state level, uh, there's no appetite for local tax increases. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's like I'm trying to get people to realize at the state level, if we just keep hammering taxpayers here, our locals are not going to have a chance. Yeah. You know, and if you really want like us to actually have conversations about this at the local level, you need to lay off exactly uh, our taxpayers. The most efficient use would be local tax rather than of course state tax. And, and it but, they, the but they do both. They yeah. want both here. 
And it's at what point do you stop asking for more of people's money? Exactly. Uh, To to quickly explain Gallagher's joke there, he he said, you don't need to dem-splain to us farm boys. So this was in response to a few speakers earlier. Assemblymember Berman out of the Bay Area had, had... he had made this argument that like, you know, for my rural colleagues to help them understand, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And he didn't mean it in a, like a mean way, but I think that's what James was responding to. And the Democrats I sit next to were cracking up. I mean, it was such a hilarious um, moment. (laughs) I think it's uh, what's interesting being on the floor is you can't, you get to hear all the, Almost heckling because right, there right. there is kind of heckling and jeering and stuff on the floor yeah. and that's actually what kind of makes it fun. Uh, but you don't get it on the camera. You don't you yeah. don't see or hear any of that on the actual feed. Yeah. But when you're sitting there, it's really yeah. funny yeah. to, you know, I turned around and you know, it, I mean, they're just cracking up. They they no. thought it was hilarious. But uh, James is good at that. You know, like getting along with uh, people on both sides of the aisle, but also passionately defending. I think the right you know, policy in a lot of cases. So anyway, uh, yeah. What? So just uh, to, to, to close the loop on this, ACA 1 and ACA 13 now move to the Senate where they're going to be uh, potentially debated, I heard, even this week in committee. Well, they that's, have that's to be, heard. Well, right? I mean, but oh, I, I, get... I think they could wait till next year oh, okay. uh, and still get on the ballot. But But long story short, both of these bills have to go to the Senate they could get stopped there. I don't know how likely or unlikely that is. But um, if they do get out of the Senate, they go straight to the ballot and then voters would have a uh, yeah. an opportunity to vote on this. You know what I was kind of surprised about is ACA 1 almost, <clears throat> I mean, that was a lot closer of a vote than I thought it was going to be. And then ACA 13 just sailed through no problem. And I thought that that was that is really very strange because ACA 13 really is a... It, there's a provision of Prop 13. Prop 13 would not have passed. This is really yeah, important yep. for people to know. Prop 13 would not have passed if ACA 13 was the, law, the law of the land. Of the land. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It It, it is crazy. And, uh, yeah, well, I mean, the good news is the voters will ultimately get the, the final say on this. Uh, but... I mean, how friendly of a ballot title and summary so is the bad. attorney general going to give it? So bad. We need to take the power away from the attorney general. I mean, this was, yeah. uh, I guess, both of our predecessors. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Kiley really talked about this a lot. But the the worst possible person is a totally biased politician. Partisan. Partisan right? I mean, yeah. writing these ballot and title summaries. That's how you got yeah. Prop 47 and 57 because yeah. basically – the attorney general lied to people. So there, there. So this is kind of funny. So these two uh, constitutional amendments, ACA one and thirteen, are moving forward. Uh, our colleague in the Senate, Roger Nilo, uh, who's actually my senator, um, has has a constitutional amendment he introduced, SCA three, that um, would would pick up kind of on uh, amending that or fixing that problem. Right, basically taking the. The, the person that writes the ballot title and summary, the attorney general, taking it out of their hands, uh, who is a partisan official, and putting it in the hands of the nonpartisan legislative analyst who already writes the the, the analysis for all of our propositions. Um, that actually got out of committee, uh, but it was held in appropriations. Wow, that's shocking. That's, right? Um, Isn't yeah. that shocking? No, yeah. not at all. <laughs> just... But I mean, clearly, right, The these two pass, but that one won't. And if we really needed... 
any level of reform, it would be SCA three no. uh, to just strip the partisanship out of initiatives. I mean, it, it's absolutely crazy to me yeah. that a partisan official has that much power and can name something like Proposition forty seven, no. right, the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act, when it decriminalized, you know, or or reduced penalties for shoplifting and no. and other crimes. So you know, I think. Were these to get to the ballot, you know, I am worried about the title and summary. A hundred percent. I actually talked about this. Uh, Isaac Bryan had a bill on um, reforming the referenda oh, right, referendum yeah. process. And, and I said, this is missing a major component. Yeah. And that would be changing who writes the ballot. You can't have fair ballot process without changing that component. Otherwise, right. it's complete. It's it's a it's a. <clears throat> I don't know. It's almost yeah. fraudulent. Yeah. And, and that actually isn't in our notes today, but that's a good one to mention. That one just got signed by the governor. I, I, I'm i blanking on the name of the number off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't remember. But uh, basically changes the referendum process. We, we've talked about it on a previous episode, but, um, you know, pretty much moving forward. It did get uh, watered down a bit in the Senate, which I was thankful for. Um, but it's it's still not great public policy, yeah. in my opinion. Um, all right, let's recap the week uh, last week, which is was the kind of the first half of end of session. We're now entering the second and final week of end of session this week. But a um, few stories to talk about and a few bills to talk about. Um, the first one I wanted to get your take on was a story that um, I just it, it was getting me worked up. Um, Governor of California went on, I think, Meet the Press on NBC. And uh, they asked him about, asked him to reflect on COVID, the pandemic and COVID policies. And he said, we would have done everything differently. Um, But he kind of prefaced that by saying, you know, like, well, but it's just, we didn't know. You know, we didn't know. Hindsight's 2020. Um, And he also said, like, at one point, like, it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was just we collectively. Exactly. You know, that that just we were blind to the right decisions because we just had no clue. How'd that, did you read that one? I oh, I 100% read it, read it. And um, I obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty on these things. But when you look at how they, a lot of the guidance and stuff from state departments, like it's considered uh, outdoor dining if the walls are 36 inches or lower, but if it goes above 36 inches, then it's considered indoor dining. And I don't know of any scientists that was talking about stuff like that. I mean, when you surround yourself with people that agree with you on everything, yeah, you're not going to get any debate or discussion in these sorts of things. Yeah. So I will say the governor's office did have a few good people working within it, uh, having worked with uh, some of the industries prior to being elected that were actually helpful and would listen. But at yeah. some point you, the governor made sort of contrary decisions and yeah. Uh, well, and don't forget the French laundry. Yeah. You don't get to apologize. Uh, you don't uh, get to apologize. Yeah. I mean, well, you, no, no, no. Sorry. Take that back. You should apologize. <laughs> um, and then maybe we can forgive you. You but don't we're not get to plead forget. ignorance though. Yeah. Oh, this is what we came up right. with. Really? Right. So you keep movie, movie, uh, you know, production going and you shut down the mom and pop, restaurants or the daycares or the schools or whatever it may be. Um, 
I mean, we had the longest school shutdown in the in the nation. Uh, kept schools closed longer than uh, any any other state by by quite a bit, actually. As a result, we have the highest learning loss of any state in the nation. Our kids suffered the most. And before that, we were already uh, one of the worst states when it came to uh, the education, the achievement gap. We were already uh, one of the worst in the country. So we we exacerbated that. Um, and you know, I was on a school board during the pandemic, and we literally were not allowed to be open, uh, despite you know the fact that we wanted to locally. I mean, it, it's um, it's it's pretty it's pretty angering to hear uh, that now. Yeah. Um, and like I think on the same interview, he criticized someone on the right for being authoritarian, right? Like in the same interview, okay. Which uh, the irony was so like blatant, right? Because he literally used emergency powers for two, three years. Uh, he took control of the entire state. Even the former uh, speaker of the assembly said, we really let him get away with too much. And this is yeah. someone in his own party that said the legislature should have done more during the pandemic to, um, you know, uh, to protect uh, the separation of powers and protect Californians. And that didn't happen. The governor literally ruled the state for two or three years without any checks or balances. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it, it's just um, it's 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 a cra- it was a crazy interview to listen to. It was. But that was a the right. The speaker said that. And I, I agree with him in that assessment. But also at the same time, they would have had to basically fight with the governor because the governor was fight, signing executive orders left and right that did all these things. Yep. And, Department of Public Health doing the same thing. And um, you, the legislature would have had to come in and basically take that authority away from him. It, yeah. That would not have happened. Yeah. yeah. But totally agree with him, just would not yeah. have happened. Yeah. So I found this tweet, and I won't, you know, go too too much more into this, but just like listing all the crazy stuff during the pandemic, right? Obviously closing schools, uh, banning visiting dying relatives in hospitals, banning people from witnessing the birth of their child, from funerals, from weddings, uh, shutting down businesses, uh, exacerbating our unemployment insurance system, um, you know, pit, pitting neighbors against one, one another in a lot of ways, right? Um, using the, this one you'll appreciate, using the pandemic as an excuse to empty prisons of violent felons, uh, letting just Tons of people onto the streets. Twenty five thousand inmates during that time. California did, you know, because of the because of COVID. There was a serious COVID going around in prison. Oh, for sure. No, there's no doubt about that. But they released twenty five thousand people. Yeah, and it's crazy. Um, What was you said one above though that just in terms of things being closed and uh, there it just didn't make any sense. A lot of these things, like the I think. Ner- well, the oh, the seeing dying, dying, relatives. dying relatives. My gosh, I was in Oregon, yeah, uh, during COVID lockdowns, and we would stay on a beach yeah. somewhere. And uh, New York obviously had similar strict restrictions, but they're also more dense in the cities and things like that. But, um, but I was on a run, and I was listening to this podcast about this these families that could not see their dying loved ones and they would go up to basically a window and wave at them while they were dying like what the hell is going on and the fact that we allowed that to happen it it's mind-boggling and by the way 
he says that we were given this. Yep. We he never accepted ownership. He says we would do things differently. Yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, <laughs> I, it wasn't I. There was actually that point where he said, yeah. not I, not but I, we. But we. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He does not accept ownership of any of that. Which, I mean, he and he was on TV daily oh, uh, with yes. these updates. Uh, so the fact, you know, it was, it was, the governor was running the show. Yeah. I mean, the governor was, this was his show. Um, you know, censoring physicians, scientists, uh, I mean, the the list goes on and on. There was a point in, in during the pandemic when our our local school board meeting lifted the mask, like the state lifted the mask mandate for public meetings, but kept it for kids. Oh, I remember. So that. there was literally like a two or three week period where nobody in our public school board meetings had to wear a mask, but our kids had to keep wearing masks. No, and and we were like, I mean, I, I was like. I was losing my mind at that yeah. point. I mean, this was, and this, by the way, was not early on. This was like two years into the pandemic or something. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was way, way into the pandemic, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we're sitting in there and, and it's like, we don't need to wear a mask, but my, my eight year old yeah. does. It's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox on that one. Um, uh, but yeah, I think it's just frustrating the, you know, you know, so, not even a sorry, but like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So that's a bummer. You know, I mean, that's basically the response we get. Yeah. Well, he's on interview. his national tour to become president. So, right. Which he's not running, though. He's not oh, running. yeah. Totally. That's what he said. All right. So, moving on. Pass fail. Little update. <laughs> Three major bills uh, in the first half of the session last week. So, um, first, we'll start with the fail. I wanted to talk about this because it's your oh. bill, AB19. So, you have a bipartisan bill, over, I think, 40 co authors, something like that. Yeah. To require Narcan in schools, which is the agent that counteracts fentanyl uh, overdoses, died in the Senate Appropriations Committee. Yeah. So tell me about that one. Um, I heard the governor's office got involved. I, really? I have no insight into that. Um, <clears throat> okay. But this was a bipartisan measure. I had two Democratic joint authors. Uh, a lot of my Democratic colleagues have come up and expressed extreme frustration hmm. and but the reasoning i was given is because hey the governor's budget already funded it there was one person who was upset that i was tweeting about this but he said hey look <clears throat> it's already funded in the budget well yeah but it's not required i think that's the point is it needs to be required on campus we require exactly. other things to be on campus yep. by the way it's a nasal spray there's no risk to it but right uh, even uh, the California Teachers Association supported this bill. So the teachers that, that wanted says a lot it. That because says a they lot. oppose a lot of things that make, you know, put new stuff on campuses. Yeah. So I really appreciated that's that. Yeah, that's and, great. Uh, but it died in appropriations committee. And I think that's, unfortunately, I think the reality is um, kids are going to be exposed to this at some point on campus. They already have been. Uh, but now when we could have had a chance to and the, the risk yeah. to that. And yeah. um, so we got to we got to sort that out. But it, it's so maddening to me. I mean, there are school districts across the state that are implementing their own policies right now, you know, locally, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, but this is a no brainer state level issue yeah. that I think um, school districts would welcome. I don't even think you would get pushback. There was none from anybody. Yeah. Right. Especially if you're funding it. Um, but requiring it is such a simple small thing that we can do to make sure that kids are at least safe at school when it comes to fentanyl overdoses, that there's at least something there. 
to help revive them if there is, you know, God forbid, an overdose or something. Yeah, yeah we have EpiPens on campus, and right. I, I think the— We have AEDs, right? Yeah, that and got. look, I, I don't want to dismiss the importance of those, but I, I think we can say the risk right now is greater with fentanyl than yeah. it is, you know, peanut allergies, which are very dangerous, by the way. Again, <clears throat> not minimizing it at all. Well, I just think, yeah, I mean, it's, this is especially right now, just a something that we need to have available. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was really uh, upsetting to see. Um, another bill, um, uh, let's see, the second bill here, AB 957. Mm. So this is a bill, uh, this one passed uh, 61 to 16, a uh, bill to require the courts to consider a parent's affirmation of their child's gender identity or expression as a factor in determining custody. So, um, you know, th- we're talking about in custody disputes um, between parents. You gave a pretty imp- impassioned speech on on the custody side of this. Um, how You know, tell me about, like, your th- feelings on that. Well, right now, nothing stops the courts from considering that already. But the reality is I've having come from a divorced family, uh, they're already super messy and the courts can already consider it. But this is the only thing that I can see of that gets a special notice uh, of what the courts need to consider. And I think that's a problem because there are all sorts of factors in divorces. Uh, and also I've seen it already used California's friendliness hmm. to these sorts of things. And, and it's used between again, I just parents use the divorces and they or they use the children. It's a sad reality is, as yeah. a leverage in custody and divorce proceedings. And so um so I think it's a complete mistake to add a little bit more onto the judge's plate on what to consider. They already consider what's in the best health, wellness, yeah. and safety of it already says that in the law. And this adds this is a factor, but it, I, I think in a lot of ways it really puts the thumb on the scale. A hundred percent. Um and, you know, I was talking to my staff about this because it's like, you know, it was like the the, the definitions, right, between affirmation and support. And I mean there are th- this is not a simple issue. This is a very complex issue as a parent, as a child, right? This is, uh-huh. these are things that, you know, families, um, that are dealing with these issues are, um, you know, struggling with already, but there are many, many different parents that would support their child through that. Um, you know, despite, you know, taking the, the affirm word out of it, but just, you, you want two parents that are going to support the child no matter what, yeah, whatever they're going through. Right. And so the idea that we're now adding like, you know, kind of this thumb on the scale uh, is really concerning. Yeah. I think the assumption that generally speaking, parents, uh, I I think the vast majority of parents are going to be, are going to be there for their children, period. I'm not saying every parent is the best parent in the world at all. I think every family actually has a pretty messed up you know, something messed up in it, of right? Course. <laughs> but uh, I think the the vast majority of people are going to do what's best for their children, whatever they may be. But that also means there could be disagreement yeah. on what the best is between two people. Forward is, I mean, yeah. I can't even figure out what I want to dinner, what I want for dinner with my wife, yeah. much less something complex like this. Yeah, well, and it's important to point out that 
for the families or the parents that maybe aren't doing that, uh, are not supporting their children and are, are you know, uh, uh, abusive or, or, you know, other issues, like there are laws in place to address that. And there are systems in place to address that. Not that they're perfect systems, yeah. but uh, they certainly are, are there. So I had somebody um, in um, a, an assembly member who supported the bill say to me, well, sometimes <clears throat> when um, sometimes you don't know the parents aren't going to be supportive until after a child comes out of the closet or, or, or indicates that they're tra- right. want to transition. And I actually, I'm listening to that. I'm hearing that. Okay, well, let's solve that problem. Let's address <clears throat> that issue. What are some solutions to that? Not, not, you know, taking a, not changing the entire custody battle uh, over yeah. that. I think there are other ways that this can be addressed and I would yeah. be open to listening to those, but this was not it. This yeah. was not it. Yeah. Uh, last bill here, um, in, in that passed as well last week, 61 to 17. Um, I believe now, I believe both of these will now head to the governor's desk. Um, and he's indicated he'll probably sign this next one, which is a bill to centralize control of local, local curriculum decisions. It's AB 1078, um, at the state level and give the state superintendent power to level fiscal penalties for noncompliance. Um, you know, I, I actually spoke out on this one and was pretty frustrated by this as a former school board member because I can't tell you how many times that we wanted to do something at the local level and we couldn't because uh, e- even small things, right? Because the state is so overly engaged in the local school board, you know, process they pass so many mandates on local school boards why do we even vote for local school board members to represent us when the state just tells them what to do i mean honestly that is a frustration that i have had for a long time and this is just another example of that yeah there were two things that drove me nuts about this all the examples done by my good friends on the other side of the aisle they're not even california examples talking about banning charlotte's web that was in Kansas in like 1963 or something, right? And they start <laughs> list. Okay, maybe there's a school board that banned some popular books somewhere. There's a thousand school boards. It's just not happening in California. But I think the biggest concern with this bill was that it the, what it penalizes is it allows one dictator in California, the superintendent of public instruction or whoever that may be someday, time, to yeah. make a decision and withhold funding from schools, i.e. from teachers and kids, because that dictator doesn't agree with whatever decision the school board made. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, uh, it's just giving more power to the state. um, To one individual. One individual for decisions that, in my opinion, we have one of the most diverse states in California. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like it or not, right? Uh, there's different opinions and beliefs in all different parts of the state. And we elect local school boards for a reason. And if there are policies passed that communities don't agree with, they will vote to change their school boards. Exactly. I mean, that's the democratic process. Yeah. Uh, it is not the job of 120 legislators in Sacramento to say, no. We're going to pass this one size fits all policy and we now control this. We now tell you what to do. 
but that's that's what even all the so many people here came from local government and they don't get that exactly it doesn't make sense and with this stuff too is the state already lays out a bunch of things you need to have in order to adopt uh, a curriculum a new curriculum right. for your district right. so it, so it's it's totally false to say that school districts are not are banning curriculum or something like that. No, yeah. they have to adopt something approved by the state already or write their own that meet certain metrics. <clears throat> and the bottom line is they all adopt something that's already done. The vast majority of them do anyways. And that's already approved by the state. So what's the problem? What are they addressing? They're not addressing anything that's happening in California. Yeah, it's, uh, it is frustrating how the media has couched this as like the book ban so uh, the, uh, bill. Yeah. Because... Or the, you know, combating book bans. Yeah. Uh, because, again, to your point, all of the book bans that they cited, um, none of them were applicable to California. And I think one of them happened in California. We looked it up. It was like someone banned, um, what was the book? Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. <clears throat> so we were all like, what are you talking about? Grapes of Wrath. So we looked it up, and it was like a school district in Kern County prohibited that book for a year and a half in 1939. And that was like the only site, like example you could find of, of that actually. Yeah. And we're just like, I mean, I mean, it's perplexing to me. It's like, this isn't even relevant to exactly. today. And not only that, um, because, you know, in the media, it's couched as like, you know, I think it was tweeted by a few different reporters, like uh, to prohibit book bans pushed by the right or whatever. When the other side of the aisle is quite literally canceling authors, changing books like classics, changing the actual words of the books to make them more appropriate for the modern day, supporting that. And yet, yes. you know, this bill is directed at some imaginary book ban that's, that's yes. you know, <laughs> that's there not even happening. actual entire authors, Dr. Seuss, for example, that have been banned from some districts. And that's recently, right? So I think, uh, I, I again, maybe they have good arguments for it. I'm just saying it's not really happening in California. So this was a total made up thing. But yeah. remember, the bill was actually worse when it was introduced. Oh, it, 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 so, was, it was actually much worse. Yeah. So, I mean, they're <clears throat> kind of continuing on the bill to yeah. address something that doesn't exist right now and yeah. threaten local funding. but. Yeah. It was actually, it was way, it was quite way, a bit way worse. worse. It, it would actually have given the state, the previous version, it would have given the state direct, um, you know, ability to intervene at the local and level. And even removing a library. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Town. So, I mean, uh, you know, and again, I think it's important to point out that we both are big fans of the First Amendment. <laughs> We're big fans of literature being accessible yeah. and um, to, to everyone, whether you agree or disagree with it. You know, you need to, you should have access to literature. Um, but it's also important that we have age-appropriate materials in our schools. And it's so funny because if a parent complains that their third grader has access to a book with, you know, a problematic imagery or whatever it might be, they get, you know, yelled at for banning books uh, when they're just trying to argue for age-appropriate yeah. materials, you know. And so it's... Schools it's, have curated books since the beginning of time yeah to age appropriate levels i mean this this is not new new stuff so yeah. i it's all just made up it's all made up it's certainly been 
I will say, I mean, there there have been obviously debates at the local level on on different issues, right? But it's certainly been, I think, over exaggerated. There are definitely books. I've seen one in a library in my district that I do not want my kid to read. And by the way, this book would not have been, you know, probably would not have been allowed in a library 20 years ago, but it is now, right? Yeah. So the question is, how do you curate it to where it's in a responsible area or a responsible checkout, just like we've always done in California? That's always happened. So the fact that this, oh, banning books, yada, yada, yada. I mean, the state has always, school districts have always curated books. It's never not yeah. happened. Uh, so let's move ahead to kind of this coming week. We're, we're adjourning for the year on September 14th, this coming Thursday, yeah. the day after this podcast comes out, actually. So there's a number of bills to watch in the final week of legislative session. Uh, we discussed a bunch of last week that I'm not going to go over again, but I, for the listeners, want them to know that there's still uh, a bunch outstanding, the SB 14 to make human trafficking of a minor a serious felony in California is still out there waiting on a vote. Um, SB 81, which expands eligibility for early release from prison. Uh, SB 94, which allows parole consideration for criminal sentence to life imprisonment without parole. I talked to Juan Alanis about that last week. Absolutely terrible bill Yeah, that um, is still out there, has not been sent to the governor yet. Uh, SB 525, the healthcare minimum wage increased to $25 that could have a major impact on health access in California. Uh, SB 553, which puts small business owners on the front lines of stopping crime and and basically does not allow them to engage with criminals and uh, puts a number of other mandates on them that will cost them money. Uh, SB 799, um, unemployment insurance for striking workers, which is still out there. I see your face. You're really excited about all these bills. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's just this stuff... All I got to say is if you're a resident of California, you're a business of California, yeah. uh, the <clears throat> next week of your life is a scary one. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to raise taxes, going to stop store owners from protecting their own stuff, going to release people fr from prison who've killed up to two people. This is the craziest thing. Yeah. I Like who sits in their office and is like, you know what? That guy who killed two people, maybe he's he's better now. I mean, it's like we need to agree that there's we should be punishing people, you know, at some point when you kill somebody. Well, at least agree that, you know, rehabilitation is a laudable goal. Yeah. But there are some people that cannot be rehabilitated. And exactly. we need to be honest about that. Yes. Um, you know. And I think this podcast should come out Thursday. So that way nobody catches wind of it on Wednesday and then kills my bills <laughs> that I have remaining. Well, how about you get them done before Wednesday? Yeah, I got to tell get, tell my but, staff to get I'm bringing on my it, last bill up know? today on the floor. Okay, so I got to I've got I, I'm on the file today, so. Oh, nice. My final bill is back for concurrence and headed to the governor. So I have two in the Senate that I well, was hopefully for. headed to the governor. I'm not going to speak that. Oh, yeah. I don't want to jinx it. I'll probably vote no on it. <laughs> it's uh yeah, I don't know. We might have to have some words if that's the yeah. case now. Um, so, yeah, all those bills are still outstanding, and we went deeper into that. So if you want to hear more about those bills, go and listen to last week's episode, episode 13. Um, but three other bills, and and honestly, I don't. we don't even have time to talk about all the bad business bills. I mean, I literally have an entire list in, in my folder over here that is uh, that are going to 
put more mandates and, you know, cause more problems for small businesses. And like it would take another hour. Right. So I wanted to mention at least one uh, that's out there, SB 253, um, which places new requirements that force private businesses, including those that are not headquartered in California, to monitor and report on carbon emissions. It imposes new fees on companies and it empowers state bureaucrats, namely CARB, the um, Air Resources Board, to levy financial penalties against businesses. Um, I mean, this is a bad one. This is a bad one. And 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 this is not an anti-environment take. This is a uh this is going to be really bad for businesses um that are trying to survive in California and that honestly are are moving towards much more climate-friendly policies in yeah. their own right. Yeah. Well, the good news about that is uh well hopefully <clears throat> it dies, goes away, but the the federal law in terms of interstate commerce and us having Correct. to monitor uh out of state companies that do business here. I just I don't see that holding up. It's so yeah, crazy. You're right. That's gonna get but, challenged, yeah, um, for sure. If it passes. Yeah. I mean to the average person I think you say like, oh, who cares? Some company's gotta monitor their carbon emissions or something. It's like it's not a cheap process and but the the scariest part is putting in a regulator Correct. to really crack Correct. down on whatever the whims are of some unelected Correct. bureaucrats sitting in cubicles. Well, and, that, and that's the thing, right? It's like, obviously, the cost to the business to to fulfill this mandate is problematic. Yeah. But again, what we love to do so much is empower unelected people with no accountability to levy financial penalties. By the way, up to half a, I think half a million dollars is in yeah. the bill um, against our businesses with no recourse. I mean, that is the part that... Um, businesses are most worried about because they have a, there's no accountability there. Yeah. Yeah. Just going to be some person sitting in a cubicle, like I said, you know, but when you talk with people, you know, it's interesting. I talk with people, Democrats too. I mean, staffers, lobbyists, whatever. And they're like, yeah, stuff's crazy, (laughs) you know? And then it just passes out like no problem. It's just so crazy to me. Uh, Everybody knows it's kind of crazy. Yeah, but it just goes through the process. Yep. Yeah, so that one's uh, probably going to come up for yeah. a vote this week in the assembly. Well, shrooms are about uh, to be legal, so that's uh, <laughs> that's that might change the dynamic a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so that's coming. Uh, yeah, that one is going to the governor too. Yeah. Um, but um, another bill coming up this week, SB four hundred seven. Um, requires uh counties and there's by the way i already said this but there's just a lot of tough bills in these final two weeks that are are very controversial and so easy for me uh, i just press the red button sure oh of course yeah Yeah. but but you know i think there's passion on both sides right on on some of this stuff but this one requires counties to provide training and assess a a prospective foster family's ability and willingness to meet the needs of their child of a child, regardless of sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, as well as a willingness to obtain resources offered. Um, so I think they've done a lot of amendments on this bill as well. But, yes. um, you know, current law is very simple, in my opinion, and I think it probably should remain that way. Uh, it literally, current law says a prospective parent, foster parent needs shown ability and a willingness to provide a family setting 
that promotes normal childhood experiences that serve the needs of the child. It's pretty broad, um, pretty, you know, um, I think all encompassing there, but this bill seeks to kind of narrow it a bit as well and add this second feature to the law. Yeah. It's hard to, there's so many bills, bad bills. It's hard to speak out against every single one of them. They're so bad and infuriating, but I used to volunteer at the Sacramento receiving home actually a few times. And you see kids that, and teenagers that, uh, don't have a family to care for them living there. And now you want to add another layer on top of that, uh, to make it even more difficult for people to become foster parents. Uh, that's just crazy. These kids need help. Uh, and if there's somebody out there willing to foster and provide that safe, uh, family setting environment, then we should let them do their job. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've talked so much with um, with our county officials about the state of the foster care system in Sacramento County. Um, we had a big story a few months back on kids that were living in, you know, pretty tough conditions. That I actually went and toured in the facility where they were, and we we moved them. Um, we called on them to to move out of that facility, but um, <clears throat> you know the county. Folks and and they you know to their credit, you know we're we're working very hard to get them out of there, but there's just not enough families. There's yeah. not enough placements. Exactly, that's the reality. And um, I'll be honest, many foster families and foster pe- people that are willing to be foster parents um, do come, you know, in a lot of ways out of uh, uh, you know a religious background or maybe a background that. They they have beliefs, uh, certain beliefs, and the idea that we don't want to possibly place, you know, anyone with a family with those beliefs is pretty. Um, you're going to see a, I think a, I think you're going to see a, um, an exacerbation of this foster care shortage, family shortage crisis, yeah. if this bill passes. Um, if families are now just a little bit, even if families are a little bit more hesitant to want to, uh, take on a foster child, uh, maybe not even because of this bill, but because that they don't want to be put in a position where they have to somehow be dishonest or, or even, um, pre- pretend they believe something that they don't actually believe. Yeah. Uh, it's just really, um, it's really difficult. Yeah. So. We'll see if that passes this week and and uh, report yeah, it's back. It's gonna be um, it's gonna be a crazy week. By the time this thing airs on Wednesday, a lot will have changed in California. Yeah. That's what's crazy. Yeah, it's true. But it's only forty eight hours from now, <laughs> right? Exactly. So. All right, final one. Uh, just a quick update because we brought this up in past episodes. Uh, there was a major insurance deal uh, to uh, basically uh, kind of help fix this crisis where we have a number of insurance companies leaving the state. Uh, Due to that, we have prices going up. Uh, We have people getting non-renewed. We have people losing coverage. I mean, this is a real problem in California. The deal to uh, actually uh, address that has been, is dead for the year. So we, we, according to the author of that bill, the, that will not be uh, happening this year, which I think is unfortunate um, that action can't at least be discussed because, uh, I think if we keep waiting, 
uh, you know, that problem is just going to get worse. So, yeah, insurance is a really big issue in my district, representing some uh, uh, very uh, forested areas in El Dorado and Placer County. And the fact that I have people drop losing insurance all the time. And, yeah. um, you know, it's really sad that that deal isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah, it's uh, it's a problem. For I don't sure. know the exact so. details of the deal because we're not involved well, yeah, in right. the discussions. Well, and that's the thing, right? right? Is it could have been a great deal, or uh, you know, I've 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 heard different things from different people, but again, I haven't been able to see anything, right? Yeah, like read it. Um, Who's so, like deciding this stuff? It's like our <laughs> districts. Yeah, I know. It's Republican districts that are largely losing the insurance, or we're not even invited to the we're discussions. The table, it cracks yeah. me up. No, it it, it is. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, yeah. and um, I think it's ridiculous that this conversation can't move um, because it's a conversation we definitely need to have. Whether the bill itself was good or bad, I mean, we can't sit here and say it because we've never read it. But the reality is, is that we know the problem needs to be addressed, and the the current situation is not addressing that. No. We're into so. passing all these controversial issues that have nothing that are that matter to nobody in Cal. Yeah, I don't say nobody, but I mean really are not the pressing issues that need to be solved. I mean, homelessness, insurance, fires, all those things. Yeah. And we're really not addressing any of those in a, in a serious way this, yeah. this entire legislative year. It's true. And when I say we, I mean, um, you know. It's not as I, a, it's as the a, collective as a body. we, remember? Yes, like exactly. the governor said, it's not yeah. I. It's... I would like to address them, <laughs> and I propose legislation to address them. They just, all those bills were killed, though, exactly. pretty early on. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, well, good. Um, well, hey, I appreciate it. I know this was a little bit heavier today, a little bit denser of a discussion than we normally have. Uh, and that's a, a product of uh, kind of this end of session yeah. load that we have this year. Um, so I appreciate you joining the discussion. To end on a slightly more positive note, football is back. Thank God. The NFL is back. Yeah. Which I'm extremely happy about. Yeah. And we're both Niners fans. How do you feel about those Niners on Sunday? Uh, I mean, they look really good. Pittsburgh is supposed to be good. I have no idea if they are. I really don't know. The of the year. <laughs> I, I think that's, there was a lot a of talk overhyped. about them being good. I think they probably were overhyped. They're but I don't a actually coach know. team. Because the Niners are good. I mean, yeah. Niners, I mean, there's not a more talented roster than the 49ers. I understand the quarterback situation. We don't really know yet, right? But the receivers, so yeah. the tight end, the defense, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, good team. Um, my son is really excited. He's never really gotten into football, and now he's a little older. Is he a Niners fan though? He is. Wasn't he? he okay, is now. Thought... he's he's fighting me on baseball, but that's a that's a separate conversation. Yeah, but I thought about getting rid of him for <laughs> you know, so trading him in. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, but the Niners, I think, because they're good, it helps because yeah. they're one of the top teams. Like it helps. He probably hasn't really lived through the, no. the pain and suffering no. that we went through. He doesn't appreciate yeah. it either. Yeah. Even if he, yeah, but um. Yeah, no, I I was excited to see the Niners uh, play really well, but also um, just glad football's back. Yeah, I'm really. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a, f it's one of those few things I feel like that, and obviously not everyone watches football, but you know how back in the day people used to watch all this. Everyone watched the same television show or something, yeah. and so you'd always have something around the water cooler to talk about sort of thing. And that's not really the case anymore with the amount of content that we have now. Like everyone's watching different stuff and you know, it's great from a consumer standpoint, but from a kind of collective, you know, standpoint, I feel like the NFL is like one of those things that 
just a much larger group of people participates. Exactly. My scheduler has on my calendar every 49ers game. Okay, that's awesome. I'm unavailable. You're unavailable. I love that. It has to be really good for me to... That's hilarious. Okay. I didn't even ask her to do it. She just put it on. No, that's a good scheduler. She's great. Yeah. That's pretty funny. She just knows it's that much of a priority for you. I love it. I have not gone that far, but I'll have to... uh, I do record the games one. sometimes if I am gone to a community event okay. or something. And if if anybody tells me the score during that time, I will never go back. I will. It's <laughs> because I want to go back and yeah. watch a game. I turn off the notifications on my phone. Nice. Don't talk to anybody. That's funny. Yeah. So. Well, I'll make sure not to tell you not, not to be like, hey, I, I, yeah, exactly. I'm glad it's been a, like a day. So hopefully oh, I you've watched, watched the game. The game and, yeah. like, I'm, and I went to the Giants game last night. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. They won, right? Yeah, they won. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a rarity these days for I the know, Giants seriously. the last couple of weeks. No. But um, All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. Any final thoughts before we leave? Uh, just hoping to survive and let's get through this week. And yeah, three and a half it. months in the district. I'm super stoked to hang out with constituents and the residents of the 5th Assembly District for the next uh, I'm so excited about this the next few months. I mean, just being in the district all the time and not having to be in Sacramento all the time. Exactly. It's going to be, it's going to be really great. Um, So one announcement uh, with the legislature adjourning uh, at the end of this week for the year, um, the podcast will be taking a short break and we'll be back in October to recap um, the governor's, you know, what he That's signed, cool. what he vetoed, yeah. stuff like that. We're trying to get Megan Daly on for that one. We've been, we've had some scheduling conflicts, so we'll see if that happens. But um, uh, we'll also be recording and releasing a few episodes this fall and winter uh, with a number of special guests before session reconvenes in January 2024. So some, some stuff to look forward to. Uh, you can share ideas for future shows at, uh, by emailing, emailing us pointoforderpod at gmail.com. Please like and follow the podcast on Spotify uh, and Apple Podcasts or whatever you listen to. Uh, You can watch and subscribe on YouTube at Point of Order Pod and follow the podcast on all the socials at Point of Order Pod. Um, You can also follow today's co-hosts on Twitter. I'm at Joshua underscore Hoover and this uh, Joe is at Patterdude. And uh, thanks, Joe. Really appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me again. All right. See you later.